how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? And the very first religious question I ever thought about seriously. Um, back in Sydney, I went to school right in the middle of the city, uh, right at, next to Town Hall Station, and we had to catch a train. And uh, I'm, I'm in the seventh grade, that's the beginning of high school, one of the very first weeks at school, and I'm walking down into the subway, and uh, this old man leans over. He might have even grabbed me by the arm, I'm not quite sure. Um, and he says to me, if you died tonight, would you be sure you're going to heaven? I mean, he was pretty old. I thought he's more likely to die tonight than me, so <laughs> I, I hoped he was sure. <laughs> but it was a question something like that. He said, if you died tonight, could you be sure you're going to heaven? And, I, you know, I'm 13 years old. I'm thinking, I'm a pretty good kid. I, I don't do bad things. I went to church like three times when I was a child. I guess I'm okay. Maybe that's enough. And I got on the train, and I, and I forgot about the old man, and I forgot his question, but it's funny how it's come back to me over the years, that question. And not everybody can forget about this question as easily. And the longer I've lived as a Christian, the more I realize that plenty of us still ask this question regularly. How can I be sure I'm saved? How can I know I'm going to heaven? And over the years, I've talked to lots of people about assurance um, as I've done this job, and, and even just as... You know, we walk through life as Christians, and some people have just rock-solid hope that they're saved, but other people are plagued by doubts. You know, am I really saved? Uh, is my faith real, or is it just somehow an act? Uh, why don't I feel God? Why don't I feel the Holy Spirit? Why is it quiet when I pray? Why do I feel nothing when I read the Bible? And what about the sins in my life? Doesn't God look at me and say, you're a hypocrite? Isn't that what he thinks? Will he really forgive me for what I've done? Surely no other Christian has sinned as much as I have. I'm the only one. And these are some of the words that I've heard people speak, and they're agonizing words of doubt that, that really eat away at Christian brothers and sisters. And, and some of you won't be able to relate to that kind of doubt, but others of you really will. You'll have felt those questions keenly. And so today, I want to remind you of the promises that God has made, the, the promises that God makes to us in the Bible, uh, promises that He makes in Jesus Christ, that by faith in Him, we can be absolutely sure of what will happen when we die. So I'm going to pray that God Himself would speak to us this morning as we open the Bible and as we read these words of assurance from Ephesians 1, and, and I'm going to dip into Ephesians 2. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Our Heavenly Father, will you speak to us today and give us assurance that you love us, assurance that you'll forgive our sins in Jesus, assurance that you'll bring us into eternal life. Will you speak to us and comfort our hearts? In Jesus' saving name we pray. Amen. So our task today is to answer that question, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? Uh, there's two schools of thoughts. One is you open the Bible and you find a hundred different verses. Um, I'm not going to do that today. The other school of thought is you pick one Bible passage and you, you really dig deep into that one and let that one open your mind as to the rest of the big story of the Bible. And that's what I'm going to do because I think that's what Ephesians 1 and 2 do for us. Um, I got three ideas this morning uh, for those of you who are keeping score. Um, first is that salvation is from God. Um, second, salvation is not by works. And third, assurance comes from hearing the truth. So our first big idea that salvation is from God. Uh, it's really tempting to think that salvation starts with us. Um, that is, um, we choose 
salvation for ourselves. If we choose God, then we're saved. And if we reject God, then we're condemned. And now, now those are actually both true statements. If we choose God, we're saved. If we, if we reject God, we're condemned. But the Bible tells a much bigger story of salvation than that. It's a story of salvation that started before the day that we ever made any decisions about following God. In fact, our salvation started before our own birth, before the birth of Jesus, and in fact, even before the birth of Adam and Eve. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 4 with me on the, uh, the Bible reading. It tells us there that the story of our salvation began before the creation of the world. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Imagine that right back there in the beginning, even before the beginning. It was then that God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's a crazy idea, right? Before the world was created, God already had you in his mind. He was already thinking about you and planning for you. He was already choosing you to be holy and blameless in sight. In this creation that hadn't even been made, he would soon bring it to birth. And he already had you in mind. He knew that you wouldn't be born for more than 20 generations after Jesus. But he still knew you and he chose you at the time. There's a beautiful psalm that reminds us that God knit us together in our mother's womb. It's such a fantastic psalm. So salvation doesn't begin with us choosing God. It begins with God choosing us from before the world was even made. And it wasn't just that God chose us to be holy and blameless. In verse 5, it says God predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. I want to think about that word predestined for a moment. This is the one I said last week. I would wouldn't talk about it. I'm going to talk about it now. Um, destiny is this funny concept for the modern Western mind. Um, destiny is that idea that there's some outside force that controls your future. Um, there was a terrible franchise of horror movies called Final Destination. And <laughs> I'm looking, nobody's going to admit to seeing any of them. It was terrible. There were four or five of them, and the premise was that um, you can't outrun your destiny. And so, you know, once you were going to die. If you managed to escape one of the deaths you were going to die, something else would get you. So you, you spend the whole movie wondering, what are they going to die from? And, you know, there's all these jump scares. They're terrible. <laughs> and I only watched one. Um, that's destiny, right? The idea that our fate is decided by something outside of our control, and, and you can't change your destiny. Uh, in, the world, in the Western world, I don't think most of us buy into this concept of destiny or fate uh, because we're so used to making our own decisions in life. You know, we kind of make our decisions, we make our luck, uh, we rely on our own strength, we rely on our education to choose our way and our pathway through the world, more or less. But Ephesians 1 verse 5 tells us that destiny is real and God has predestined some people to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Um, what is the basis for his choosing and predestining us? Good question, How? Huh? What's the basis? The second part of verse 5 says this. It says, God chooses and predestines in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, God doesn't choose us because of anything we've done, but purely because of his love. It says that in the beginning or the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us. He does it because he loves 
And he brings us into his family and he gives us the status of children. And he pours out gracious gifts on us, every spiritual blessing in Christ, it says in verse 3. To imagine that, we often imagine that there's more blessings that we should have. This verse reminds us we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 6 tells us we have his glorious grace and he gives that to us freely. So salvation, it starts with God. And even before the start of the world, that's where salvation comes from. But salvation doesn't just come from the Father, it's also wrapped up in Jesus. And so do you notice there in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 how Jesus is actually mentioned in every single verse. Every good gift of the Father is somehow wrapped up in Christ. So in verse 3, he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him, that is in Christ. In verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, God gives us his glorious grace in the one he loves, that is, in Jesus. Salvation comes from the Father and the Son. And we see in verse 7 exactly the role that the Son plays. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, that is, the forgiveness of sins. See, it's in Jesus that God's plan of salvation was accomplished. At Jesus' death on the cross... Um, was for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we have the cross front and center here in the church. We want to remember God's glorious gift of forgiveness through the cross. His death brings us redemption from the destiny that sin held in store for us, and it changes our future. And so God's choice of us before the beginning of the world, it was secured by Jesus' death in our place. And nothing can stand in the way of God's plan. He's made sure of that in Jesus Christ. And, and God wants us to know that truth. Look at verse 9. He, God, has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. See, God has told us the meaning of life. Come to church, guess what? I'm going to tell you the meaning of life. It's right there, to know Jesus and to find your life in him. God has showed us the mystery of his will, this plan that he's working out according to his will to bring everything in, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the end of this little passage. And it says we're included in that plan because of God's choice and his predestination. We're not outside of God's plan, we are inside. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind that God thought of me, that he loved me, and that he's brought us exactly to where you're sitting today. I believe there's no coincidences. God has put you here. He's got something to say to you. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes it seems so implausible as you live your little life. You might have a big life. I feel like I've got a little life. I, I go about my little jobs. I look after my little family. And somehow, in all of my littleness, God chose me before. And Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. It, it is plan that was hatched and formed and carried out so that we could stand here or sit here today. How do you keep the faith when God's plan seems to take such a long time to come to fulfillment? How do, you keep, how do you keep the faith when life intrudes, you know, your little life and all your busy things? Um, Joe and I, my wife and I, we own a house back in Australia. Um, I don't know if I'm the best landlord in the world or the worst. Um, I haven't put up the rent for like five years. Um, there's a lovely family who lives there. We have a, um, an agent who looks after it. I have no idea what the inspection reports look like because I never open the email. Um, it, it just works, I believe. Um, if, actually, there's a, 
there's a funny, if you're reading along with the sermon, there's a funny typo here. The property manager is doing a goof job. He's not doing a goof job, he's doing a good job. <laughs> that, house is, that house is kind of so far away, it's so far removed from my day to day, and we're so busy here that I kind of forget that we own this house. But do you know, back home in a drawer somewhere, I, I do know where this is, is the contract on the house. Um, and the contract guarantees that I own the house. It reminds me of something that is objectively true, whether I remember it or not. And God has given us a guarantee of his promises, a, a contract stamped with the king's royal seal. And verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, Ephesians 1.13. So the Holy Spirit is the way that God stays close to us until Jesus returns. And it's the way that God helps us to feel close to him. The Holy Spirit does that because the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. It's God remaining with us and the presence of God with us permanently who changes us and transforms us and molds us to be more like Jesus every day that we follow him. And uh, there's a little word there, sanctification. The Holy Spirit actually begins this process of sanctification in us. Um, it's a work that won't be finished until we're with God in heaven. But as we work our way through following Jesus Christ, you'll notice sometimes the sins get less. Actually, the, usually the more sanctified you are, the more you realize how far you fall short. You realize there's more and more things to fix. But without the Holy Spirit, none of us would try to please God. We just wouldn't care about it. But when he bids us, come and follow Jesus, come and live your life for him, you'll feel yourself wanting to follow Jesus more and more. He, he bids us to repent. And uh, from chapter 2, I'm not going to dig into chapter 2 very much, but in chapter 2, verse 10 there, it says that God's actually got good works for us to do. The Holy Spirit leads us to do good things. So we're asking the question, how can I be sure if I'm going to heaven? And uh, so far, Ephesians 1 has taught us that we can be sure we're going to heaven because God has chosen us from before creation to predestine us for salvation through the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And we have this guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who save us. All together, they thought about it, they initiated the plan, and they've carried it out, them alone. And that means the second big idea is that salvation is not by works. Salvation is not by works. Um, see, if salvation comes through God alone, then we actually contribute nothing to our salvation. We contribute nothing. And it's super clear in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. I'm not going to read all of it because it's, it's too long, but it paints this picture of how we used to be, how we used to be before we knew God. It says in verse 1 that we were dead in our sins. And that's the way everybody is who lives apart from God. I'm spiritually dead. It says in verse 2, we were disobedient. In verse 3, it says we're living to gratify the cravings of the flesh. Some Bibles say the sinful nature. Um, in other words, you're living for yourself, and God has nothing to do with you. And that life of sin, it says in verse 3, deserves God's wrath. A wrath. Um, but look what it says in verse 4. This is my favorite. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. That's why we sang Amazing Grace before, by the way. So you'd remember it's by grace you've been saved. We're not saved because of our good works, but by God's grace. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That love that he had for us came from before creation. It was love that would make Jesus walk the pathway to the cross and willingly submit his life, submit himself to death for you and for me. And uh, it, he did that while we were still enemies of God. Um, verse 8 in chapter 2, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And even that faith is not from ourselves. It's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. Um, I want to I read that verse again and just let it wash over you for a moment. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. This is such a good verse to remember when, you're, when your faith feels weak. You know those days when your faith feels weak? Come and read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Sometimes your faith might feel like there's not much, but God actually gives us enough faith to keep running the race. He gives us faith uh, to keep trusting Jesus for your salvation because we need to trust Jesus for our salvation rather than trusting in our own works. Um, trusting in religious works was the problem of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Um, they were the religious people, and, and it's the problem of many world religions today. They put their hope, in, they put their hope of salvation in doing good things, um, being a good person, or, or doing the right religious ceremonies, or, or attending religious ceremonies. And those are good things to do, but they're not the way that we get saved by God. 2 verse 8 to 9 reminds us we're saved by faith in Jesus, and that's the only way, not by works, by trusting in Jesus for our forgiveness. Oh, we should do works as Christians. We should do good things. Um, but verse 10 teaches us that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, um, which God's prepared in advance for us to do. But those works aren't the reason why we're saved. We're not saved because we do good things. They're the working of the Holy Spirit after we've been saved. And, uh, and the Spirit helps us to choose what is right more and more. And, uh, and as I said, over time, as you follow the Lord Jesus, you'll see that your life is characterized more and more by good works as you submit yourself to God's will and deny the sinful nature. Um, what I love about Christians who live their faith out like that, it's actually a real sign that God is working in us. You know, when you see a Christian who's been changed, it's a sign that God's Holy Spirit is doing something in them. And uh, I've seen that amongst many of you in the last six months since we reopened church. I've seen people changing and growing. It's such a great thing. All right. So how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? Well, it is God who saves. Uh, and it, he doesn't save because of my good works, and nor has he denied me salvation because of I didn't do enough. You know, sometimes you wonder if I didn't do enough. Did I do enough to deserve salvation? That's not how we get saved. Our salvation is God's choice through and through. And, and these are the bedrock facts of Christianity. Uh, they are true regardless of how we feel. Uh, nothing we do could make God love us more. And there's nothing we could do that would make God love us less. He just loves us. And so go back to him. Our third point, um, faith comes through hearing. Why is it so hard to find assurance then? Why is it so hard? Um, I think the reason is this. We're actually so much like Adam and Eve. We're like our first parents. Um, we feel this temptation to question God's word. And they listened to the wrong voice. The voice of the serpent whispers in our ear too, just like he did to Adam and Eve. He says, did God really say that? Is it really that simple to be saved? Surely, surely there's more you need. 
He has to do more than that. In the book of Revelation, Satan is called the deceiver, and he still wants to deceive us just like he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say your sins are forgiven? That's the voices we hear, isn't it? Do you really think that God loves you? Well, the answer is we shouldn't listen to the wrong voices. Don't listen to the voice of the deceiver. He knows that he's lost the battle for your soul and because Jesus has won us from him. Jesus has already won us out of the hands of the devil. He's snatched us from death into life. That's what the passage said. And, and the devil is now furious and he tries to inflict as much damage as he can while he's in his dying moments. And there's a quote from a Christian author and blogger, Tim Challies. I think I've put it on your handout here. I love this. It says, though Satan can never steal the Christian's crown, though he can never snatch him away from the hand of the Father, he's so envious and malicious that he will leave no stone unturned in robbing the Christian of comfort and peace in making their life miserable, in giving them reason to live in constant sorrow and mourning, doubt and questioning. Isn't that true? That wee hours of the morning, when you wake up and your sin weighs heavy, did God really say, surely you've gone too far? It's tempting to listen to the voice of doubt in our weakness, but I want you to listen to the voice of truth instead. Uh, not my voice, but the voice of God, because God says, yes, we actually can trust that our sins are forgiven. Um, have a look at this. Um, have a look at chapter 1, verse 13. See, God tells us to listen to the truth. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you hear, that is part of how you're saved. You've all got ears today. You're all listening. God is drawing you into something. Do you see that? When you hear, you are included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Have you heard the word? Are you hearing it today for the first time? Are you hearing it for the hundredth time? It is true for you. You are included in Christ when you hear and believe. And that is the simple message of the sermon today. Faith comes through listening to God, and, and he's speaking to you today. So hear his voice and trust in him. Come to Jesus and see what he'll do in your life as you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. I know for some of you this isn't going to be enough. You know, those, those voices of doubt will still come into your ear, and I know that's hard. I've, I've had those periods of doubt myself. Um, but that's why we, we share the hope of Jesus here at church every week. Keep coming back. Keep reminding yourselves of the truth. Keep hearing the truth. Keep studying God's word. Join one of our small groups. Get yourself involved in the life of the church that helps support you through the light and the darkness, the good times and the hard times. Um, as I said before, we have Alpha course starting up. If you don't know much about Jesus, this is the course for you. Come and find out over eight weeks how God loves you. I join in a little group. I think it's going to be meeting in my living room, um, which will be fun, nice and intimate. Um, and that'll be starting in just a few weeks' time. But that's what I wanted to say today. How can we be sure? Well, God has made us absolutely sure through Jesus Christ.